about my children. I'll be able to control so nothing bad will happen to them. If I worry about my husband, about my marriage, about my job, about the economy, that if some way that if I worry about these things, that that which is uncontrollable will be controlled by my worry. That is a myth. And it will only bring us misery. Now, there are commands in the Bible that are more difficult than other commands to obey. It's not hard to obey the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. I suppose most of us have obeyed that commandment pretty readily in this assembly. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. But there is a command in the Bible that is really a difficult command for us to obey. It is found in the book of Philippians 4 and verse 6, and it says, Don't worry about anything. What's that, Paul? Don't worry about anything. Now, you talk about a difficult command, that is a hard command. The word worry, the English word worry, means to strangle or to choke, and that's what worry does. Worry strangles out our life and chokes away our happiness. The Greek word for worry is a word which means divided. And all of you that suffer from anxieties and those of you that are depressed, you know that something that will really create depression and anxiety will be when you have a divided mind, when there is internally a tug of war pulling at you and it only makes you miserable. Well, aren't you glad that the book that gives the answer to all of life's problems also deals with the problem of worry? And this marvelous book that God has given to us gives a solution for worry. And this morning I want to begin the lesson. There are only two major points of our lesson. But I want to begin the lesson by talking with you about five things that Jesus tells us the truth about worry. And if you have your outline, we'll go slowly so you can fill those outlines in. Number one, Jesus said that worry is unreasonable. If you have your Bible, please look to Matthew chapter 6 and again at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now, we tend to worry, but why do we worry? And why is wor worry unreasonable? Number one, it's unreasonable because we worry about things that are unnecessary to worry about. We worry, in fact, about the wrong things. We worry about, instead of being concerned about our soul and about our relationship with God and about avoiding hell and going to heaven... We worry about things like, you know, like uh, go to a party and getting something spilled on our dress or on our coat or on our tie or shirt. I've, had, I've, I've seen some folks almost have a coronary because shirt. If you'd go down to Walmart's where I get my shirts, it wouldn't be such a big problem. But many people really are concerned about the things that are exterior rather than the things that are eternal. In addition, we worry about things that we cannot change, and that's useless to worry about these things. 
If you can change things, don't worry about it. Get busy and make those changes. If you can't change, how, how useless it is to worry about these things. And thirdly, worry is illogical. It's irrational. It's unreasonable because it exaggerates the problem. Somebody says something to you of a critical nature. Maybe at job, maybe at school. And they say something to you and, and you begin to be concerned about that. Are you listening, young folks? That keeps on growing over and over and over in your life. It just keeps on building up and it becomes really bigger than it is. Worry, therefore, is unreasonable. Not only that, worry is unnatural. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they stole not, neither did they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And down in verse 28, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Now, Jesus gives us a lesson from nature. I'm not an ornithologist. We have a lady in this church that watches birds. Her name is Marie Yearwood, and she was my partner a couple of years ago, and maybe even other times we've got to knock on doors together there in Central America, and we'll be walking along, and all of a sudden she'll say, Look at that! Look at that! And maybe a quarter of a mile away she'll see some little old bird, and she'll begin to give its historical background, knows its names, knows its scientific names. I don't know much about birds. seems to me that kind of birds are useless creatures. <laughs> I mean, they build a nest once a year. They flutter around. They pick up land that could be developed. They twitter, they, they sing, they're pretty, but really they don't do a lot. But do you know God takes care of the birds? You talk about a welfare system, birds are on God's welfare system. And the Bible says, I take care of birds, and you're better than a bird, I'm going to take care of you. Then Jesus moves from bird watching to a lesson from botany. He says, look at the flowers. Look at the intricacy of flowers. Look at the beauty of those little flowers. And some of them are only going to last a few weeks, and some of them maybe last six months. But they're not going to be around very long. And yet God has taken such detail and such time to make them a work of art. Here's the point. God looks after the animals. God looks after the flowers. You're better than an animal. And you're better than a flower. But let me tell you something. Animals don't worry and plants don't worry. The only thing in all of creation that I know of that worries is man. Psalms 145 and verse 16 says that God satisfies the desire of every living thing. And the animals understand this verse. Psalms 145 and 16, but some way or another, we have not understood this particular verse. Well, it's not only unreasonable, it's unnatural for people to worry. You might say, well, Brother Jerry, I'm a born worrier. I, I, I worry all the time. But let me suggest to you that you learn this. You learned it from your parents, you learned it from your peers, you learned it from your partners, you learned it from other people. 
You see, worry is something that is a learned response. And the good news is that if worry can be learned, it can also be unlearned. You don't have to be a worry wart for the rest of your life. Some of you have been practicing and you've gotten real good at it. You've done it so much. And it takes it out on our bodies. We get all kind of headaches, ulcers. Have you ever heard anybody say, Man, I'm worried sick. Well, there's some truth in that. Worry can make you sick. Well, you're in the outline, write down two verses. I, I believe I left these off. But please write down in your outline... Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. We would say that worry weights a man down. And it does. And then in Proverbs 14 and 40, a heart at peace gives hope to the body. You know, worry is fatiguing. It makes us tired than hard work. Have you ever sat up at the hospital? Maybe sat up all night long at the hospital? And, uh, and, and you feel so tired, tired than if you'd gone out and worked for ten hours digging a ditch. Why is that? Because worry makes us fatigue. And your father knows your need. He didn't say the father of the birds know your need or the father of the flowers. He said your father knows your need. That's what he's saying. In the third place, worry is unhelpful. Jesus said it doesn't work. Look at verse 27. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? The NIV says, Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Worry will not, not make you taller. It will not make you shorter. It will not make you thinner. Worry doesn't work. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. There's a lot of motion to it, but you don't go very far. It has no progress. The book of Philippians says in chapter 4 and verse 19 that we are not to worry. And when you worry about the past, it does not change the past. And when you worry about the future, it doesn't give you control of the future. Worry only messes up today. And so worry is not helpful. In the fourth place, worry is unnecessary. Now this is the real meat of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? There is no need to worry, because he says that God will take care of you. He is your heavenly Father. How many of you get an allowance or got an allowance? Could I see your hands? Anybody get an allowance this day? Oh, yes, several of you get an allowance. You know, when I was growing up, we got a little allowance. I never did think about where my dad got that money. I didn't know till I was in college that we were poor. I always thought, you know, that we had everything we needed, which we actually did. We didn't have as much as some other folks did. And I never one time ever remembered wondering about where did my dad get the money to send us to Athens Bible School? I never one time ever worried about things like that. Why is it, therefore, that when it comes to God that we get all perturbed about that? And God says, you don't have to worry about your next paycheck. 
He, he says, I will take care of you. I will supply your need. That's what that verse said in Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all of your need. Does that include the car payment? Does that include the mortgage payment, the doctor bill? Does that include the shoes? Would you agree that there is a difference, however, in greed and need? It doesn't say that God will supply all of my greed. It does say that God will take care of my need. Worry always indicates that we have a misunderstanding of the nature of God. And if I don't understand what God is like, I will not trust Him. And if I don't trust God, then I will worry. The real issue is, who do you believe God is? Well, you say God is the one that makes salvation possible. Well, isn't it strange that we trust God for salvation? We believe that God can deliver us from sin, that Jesus has prepared a place for the redeemed, and we know that God can save us from how bad we have been and how wicked and evil we have been. We understand that principle but that God cannot take care of our needs. How ludicrous this is. We're like a man that was hiking along with a knapsack on his back, and a pickup truck comes by, and the man offers him a ride, and he gets in the, in the truck, and the man says, why don't you throw your knapsack back in the back of the truck? And he said, listen, buddy, if you'll just take care of me, I'll take care of the knapsack. And so we say to God, if you'll take care of my salvation, I'll take care of all of these other matters. Jesus in the fifth place said that worry is unchristian. Do you know when you worry, you act like an atheist? You act like a heathen. You act like an infidel when you worry. He said, why, the atheists, the pagans, they seek after these things. They don't have the assurance that you have. You act like God does not exist. Now, if you're an unbeliever in this assembly today, I would say to you, brother, you need to worry. You need to pick up the newspaper and see all the killings going on and all the illness, and you need to worry. An unbeliever needs to worry. An atheist, infidel, agnostic, you need to worry. But a Christian? Why, indeed not. Because we have a Heavenly Father. In a few moments, please don't pick up the songbooks yet. I'm not closing. But I want to suggest to you what the Bible says that we must do in becoming a Christian. That we, number one, must believe in Jesus. That we must trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That He indeed is the Son of God. Do you believe that? Then why don't you act like it? If you really do believe in Jesus Christ that He is the Son of God, what difference has it made in your life? Have you repented of your sins? Have you stood before an assembly and made that noble confession that I believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Have you been buried with your Lord in the watery tomb of baptism? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And have you been raised a new creature with a new name? with new goals and aspirations. Tuesday night, there was a young man who had earlier written me a two-page letter. He was in a real bind. His wife had left him, taken with him two children, 
and had run off with another man. She had gotten him fired from his job by constant calling and lying about him. She had charged every credit card they had to the max. Deprived him of privileges of seeing his children. He said, what can I do? I didn't know anything to tell him but give his life to Christ. I mean, this fellow was in such a mess. I don't know what kind of a situation you're in, but I'm saying to you today that if, if you're not a Christian, that you have a lot to worry about. But if you're a child of God in this dog-eat-dog world in Birmingham, Alabama, you don't need to worry because God says, I will take care of you. Don't act like a non-cared-for orphan. The, the Bible says that God needs, knows every need that you have. One of these days we'll learn that we cannot control, that God is in control. If you worry, you're acting like an atheist or an unwanted orphan. And besides that, it's a very poor way to be a, a good Christian to encourage others to become children of God. The message that you give is not a very powerful message. If you're going around telling the people where you work about all the problems that you have and acting like you don't have a heavenly Father, and going around in school acting as though you are an unwanted orphan as far as God's family is concerned. Well, I want to give the antidote to worry before we quit this morning, and I've got four minutes and a half. Before we go to the second part of our lesson, however, I want to, to stop right here, and I'd like for you to write there in the outline the greatest worry that you have. Would you do that? Would you just jot down on that little outline? This is the greatest worry that I have. And if it's the person sitting next to you, just draw an arrow. I mean, God will know who you're talking about. Now would you scribble it out? Just, just draw a line through it. Now would you write down the next biggest thing that you worry about? Do you have something in mind? Everybody have something in I believe you do. You look real worried. <laughs> now, I want to give you what Jesus said about how to get rid of worry. Not only does Jesus give us five reasons why we should not worry, He says there are three steps that all of us can take that will help us to get rid of any worry that we have. Number one, He says we need to put God first in every area of our life. In Matthew 6, 32, he says, For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Worry is a warning light. It says that you have your values all mixed up. And whenever I start worrying, it means that something is out of whack in my life. Something has taken the place of God in my life, that God is not number one in my life. It may be in a dating relationship. It may be in recreation or job. Wherever God is not number one in my life, there is an area of worry. 
Let God be number one. Take my life, O Father, mold it. Take my life and let it be. Do we really mean those statements? Now, every person has decided who or what they're going to live for. If you tell me the answer, who are you living for and what are you living for, I'll tell you whether you worry or not. If you're living for something other than God and for some other purpose other than to glorify and honor Him, then you're going to be plagued for the rest of your life. Some of you may be living for money. People have gotten more than they could spend in a lifetime and sit around worrying about money all the time. They worry about losing it. They worry about saving it, about investing it, about protecting it, about maintaining it. And all we need to do is put God first. So I'm asking you this morning, is God number one in every area of your life? Number two, just live one day at a time. This is the second thing that Jesus said about worry. He said in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't open up your umbrella until it starts raining. Some of you say, well, it's going so good in life, I know something bad's going to happen. Things are just going too smoothly. In my relationship with my companion, things are going so beautifully, I know something bad is about to happen. Don't open up the umbrella till it starts to rain. There are two days in the week that you should never worry about. You should never worry about yesterday, and you should never worry about today. Today is tomorrow, is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Now, it's all right to plan for tomorrow. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan. God wants us to plan. But I'm saying that we need to depend upon God one day at a time. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said after this manner you're to pray, give us our yearly food. No, give us our monthly food. No, give us our week. No, give us our daily bread. One day at a time. He wants us to depend upon him moment by moment. And thirdly, trust God to care for the things that are beyond your control. In verse 30, he says, O ye of little faith. Now, worry and trust just don't live together. When worry comes into the heart, faith goes out the back door because they simply will not live together. And Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And listen to this glorious promise. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We either panic or we pray. And if there's anything that is not worth praying about, it is not worth worrying about. In Romans 8:32, Paul said that God did not spare His own Son but God gave him up for all of you, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How much does God love you? He loved you enough that he gave his own son. And Paul said, based upon this, that God will give unto us all things that we need 
In closing today, I remind you of the story of Jehoshaphat. It's found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. There were those that came to Jehoshaphat and said, There cometh a great multitude against thee beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And in verse 10, Behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They have turned from them and, and destroyed them not. And he says, They're coming after you. Three magnificent armies with weaponry, with determination to wipe Israel off of the face of the earth. And the prophet said to Jehoshaphat, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, be not dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it is God's. If you need God, will you come as together we stand and sing?